Let's take our Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 this morning as we continue our study in the book of John. John 20 and verse 31. Do you know what it says? But these are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. People have talked a lot about America this week. On Tuesday, we went up to the Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion and saw the Freedom Concert that the Houston Symphony put on there. It was enjoyable. We even enjoyed the cannons at the end. Uh, We like our freedom here in America, don't we? People talk about that, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness and how important that is. And as that verse I just quoted in John chapter 20, that life comes through knowing Jesus Christ, real life, eternal life, and life that has meaning, and life that has purpose. The Bible tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And we know that everything that we have that is good comes from God. But sometimes we don't live as if that is true. You know what I'm talking about. There's the reality of what's true, and then there's sort of our version of reality that we say is true. This morning, we're talking about freedom, and not just freedom as Americans, but true freedom in Christ. It's very important as you study God's Word to understand the situation that is going on in the particular passage that we're studying. And in John chapter 8, I've mentioned this for a couple of weeks because we've been in chapter 8 for a couple of weeks. But in John chapter 8, the people, the nation of Israel at this particular moment are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This was a feast, a celebration that would come about once a year. And it was a time to celebrate as the children of Israel had gained their freedom from bondage and slavery in Egypt and as God took them to the promised land. And so they would spend several days celebrating their freedom that they had from slavery. And it is in this moment that they're celebrating their freedom that Jesus steps up and he basically says to them, you are not free. You're celebrating freedom, but you're not truly free. And he tells them that true freedom comes through Jesus Christ. He says the truth will set you free. And we know that Jesus is the truth, right? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, and Jesus says it is the truth that would set you free. I was thinking about it this week. I mean, imagine Tuesday night, we're up there enjoying beautiful music from the Houston Symphony, and they had a man singing, God bless America, and and we just had a great time. People are clapping and cheering and excited. Imagine in the midst of all of that celebration, somebody steps out on the stage And he looks at all of us out there dressed in our red, white, and blue with our people had funny little star hats on and they had all kinds of things to celebrate with the colors and all the fun things. But imagine then if somebody were to step out on that stage and say, you're not free. How do you think he would be received? (laughs) Probably not very well. And Jesus, even though what he said was absolutely true, He was not received very well by these people when in the midst of their celebration of freedom, he says, you're not free. You don't understand what true freedom is. See, I believe there's really three types of freedom, and some of these are addressed in this passage. I think all three are. There is external freedom, right? And I would say as Americans, for the most part, we have external freedom. Nobody's twisting my arm and forcing me to do something, at least on the outside, that I don't want to do, right? I have freedom of speech, and I have freedom to gather and to worship God how I want to, and and we have these different freedoms in America. And while I realize there are challenges in our day and people that are encroaching against the freedoms that we've enjoyed and celebrated for so long, and there's many difficulties around us, for the most part, we have external freedom. 
And these people were celebrating their external freedom here in John chapter 8. But Jesus is dealing not just with the external, because God doesn't just deal with your outside. He also deals with your inside. There's internal freedom as well, isn't there? And while we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we have many people in our nation and I would say very likely people in this room this morning, as, as many people as are here, that are not free internally. You're in bondage to something this morning. And then there's a third kind of freedom, I think, and Jesus deals with this as well, and this is eternal freedom, right? Freedom that lasts forever, that never goes away. Freedom that nobody can ever take away from you. It's the kind of freedom that the Apostle Paul knew that he had when he and Silas were thrown into that jail in Philippi that night. And as they sat there bound up in the prison, they're able to sing praises to God. What's their problem? They were free. They might not have external freedom at that moment, but they had freedom that mattered far more than that because they had internal freedom. They knew that they were forgiven for their sins, and they had eternal freedom because they knew that no matter what anybody did to their physical body, they were free forever because they were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus steps out on this stage and he speaks to these people and he deals with their freedom... He deals with several different types of things that tend to bring us into bondage. And as Freddie read these verses a little bit ago, I know it was a lot of verses. Abraham's name was mentioned quite a few times. There was a lot of different things going on, but I want to break this down for us this morning because I think this is an incredibly important passage, not just because we live in the United States of America and we enjoy our freedom, but because every single person, no matter where you're from, no matter what country you were born in, no matter where or when you've ever lived or will ever live, we all need to understand what true freedom is. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and verse 32, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus, when he begins this statement in verse number 31, he begins it with a qualifier, the two-letter word, if. That's a very important word, isn't it? Because it shows that there's something that is dependent upon something else. He says, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples. Before we get to dealing with freedom, just by way of helping to understand what's going on here, we need to understand, first of all, Jesus is calling us to be his disciple, to be a follower of him. Jesus, before he left this earth to go back to heaven, he commanded his followers to continue to go and make more disciples, right? The Great Commission. And before he left heaven, or before he left earth to go up to heaven, he said, go and make disciples. And so Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, then you are one who continues in my word. There are a lot of people today who, if in the moment, are asked a question like, well, do you believe in God? They might say, well, sure, I believe in God. Well, do you believe in Jesus? Well, sure, I believe in Jesus. And yet, there are many people who might claim to know that he exists and believe that he exists, and yet are not really his true disciples because true disciples are those that follow Jesus, that continue in his word. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you understand the logical order of this? He's saying, if you do this, then you're my disciples. And then the idea is, if you're my disciples, then you'll know the truth. And if you know the truth, then you will be free. See, we get it backwards sometimes, don't we? We want to say, I'm free. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, and I can do it without Jesus. Jesus is saying, no, there's no freedom apart from Christ. The only way to have true freedom is if you continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples. If you're my disciples, then you'll know the truth, 
if you know the truth, then you'll be free. Do you see? It's a series of if-then statements. If one thing is true, then something else will be true. But if we break the chain at any point in the argument, we lose freedom. And it all starts where? With Jesus. It all goes back to Him. See, truth corresponds to reality. But many people today want to make up their own reality, don't they? We use different drugs or alcohol or things to try to augment our reality or to change our reality. Sometimes we just live in a place of, of lies and deceit and we deceive ourselves. The Bible says over in 1 John that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? We are all sinners and people want to say, well, I'm not that bad or I don't have a problem. We try to make excuses. We try to blame other people for things. And our truth is not real truth because it doesn't correspond to reality. If I walked up here this morning and said, I want to tell you something that's true. I measured myself today and I was only five foot two inches tall. You would laugh at me, right? Like you just did. You say, that's not true. I'll say, it is true. You should see my measuring tape. And you'd say, your measuring tape measure, it's way off. I haven't been five two since, since I was about nine or ten years old. So it's been a long time. Some of you are thinking, wow, yeah, my poor parents. Imagine all the pants they had to buy and all those things. I, was, I fit in well here in Houston. I was always ready for the flood and high water pants, you know, <laughs> just growing fast. But see, truth is not subjective. We don't get to change it based on what we feel is right. Truth is truth. Truth corresponds to reality. We don't get to make up reality. We understand when something's fake, like when it comes to fake money. If I said, hey, I've got $5 for somebody this morning, and, and first person to raise their hand gets $5, and a bunch of hands shoot up, and I call on somebody, and bring them up, and I hand you a pink $5 note from the Monopoly game at home, you'd kind of be frustrated. I'd say, no, it says $5. It's $5. You'd say, but that's not true. That's not real money. That's fake money. You say, well, it might not be true to you, but it's true to me. If you come to my house and play Monopoly with me, it counts for $5. See, we live in this sort of made-up world sometimes of no freedom, of bondage, where we're making up things that aren't true because we're trying to live apart from Christ. The only true freedom comes through Christ, comes through the truth of who He is. These people, the Jews there, they're celebrating their holiday of external freedom. And Jesus reminds them that while they might have external freedom, they didn't have eternal freedom. They didn't have internal freedom. You see, freedom is not just the ability to do whatever I want to do, but rather true freedom is the freedom to do what God made me to do. See, when I got married to my wife, I was now free to be her husband and to participate in the marriage relationship with her. Before we were married, I wasn't free to do that. Now, some people still go and they do those types of things, but that's not your freedom to do it. Instead, it is bondage. I want you to understand here this morning what this freedom is that Jesus is talking about. Look at verse number 33. They answered him. So Jesus says, here's what freedom is. It's through me. It's through, and the truth will set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, will we be Abraham's seed? And we were never in bondage to any man. Isn't it interesting? When we don't deal in reality, we often begin to rewrite history. Were the Jews never in bondage to any man? No, they were enslaved over and over and over again, right? The Egyptians, that's what they're celebrating. It's like they're celebrating their freedom from slavery, and then they say, we were never in bondage to any man. Then later on, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. You could go on and on. Now, even in this day and age, as this was being written, as this was happening, it was the Romans that they were in bondage to. And yet they say, we're not in bondage to any man. Folks, we can be guilty of the same thing. When we don't deal in truth, 
when we don't look at things through the window, through the perspective of God's Word, from the perspective of truth, we make up our own reality, and it's so far from the truth. And we get so messed up and twisted up in our own thinking that we can get really messed up. Jesus answered them, verse 34, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your Father. Here's the first thing we need to notice this morning. Jesus sets you free from slavery to sin. Jesus sets you free from slavery to sin. When Jesus begins to talk to them about true freedom that comes through Christ and knowing Him, they instead try to claim their relationship to Abraham as that which sets them free. And Jesus makes a very clear statement in verse number 34 when He says, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now that's a hard reality that we may not like to hear. Nobody wants to be told that they're the servant of sin. But Jesus is very clear. He says, whosoever commits sin is a servant to sin. There's no getting around that one, folks. The Bible says it very clearly in Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned. Sin brings bondage, slavery. It wraps us up, ties us up, locks us up. And yet, people that are living in sin often don't recognize the truth that they are in bondage. Jesus says, you are a servant of sin. He expounds on this idea of servant and he uses an illustration comparing a servant with a son. Notice he says in 35, The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. Think about it. If you have a servant in your house, servant comes, servant goes. Servant is there to serve, they're there to do the things in the house, but they're not really part of the house. Who's part of the house? The children, the sons, the daughters. What an encouragement this is, isn't it? But see, many of us are maybe this morning enslaved to sin. Jesus says the servant, he doesn't stay in the house. He has to leave. It's the son that's here forever. See, these people were enslaved to sin. Verse 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed. Jesus is not arguing with them that they descended from Abraham. He knew that that was true. But he's making the point to them, just because you descended from Abraham doesn't make you free. See, that's how the Jews looked at themselves. Why? We're Jewish, so we're good. Descended from Abraham. And folks, I, I think sometimes here in our country, we can do the same thing. I'm an American, so I'm okay. I'm free. It's good enough. Everybody else wants to be an American. I'm an American, so I'm okay. But Jesus is very clear. Your patriotism, your, the fact that you're an American, doesn't really give you freedom. For the Jew, the fact that they're descended from Abraham, well, that's a, a wonderful thing doesn't give them freedom. Freedom comes from being a son, being a child, being part of the family, right? The child in the family has freedom in the house. The servant in the house doesn't have freedom in the house. They have to do whatever the master tells them to do, and they don't get to stay in the house. Jesus says in verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen 
with your father. See, Jesus says, I'm teaching you and I'm speaking to you what my father, God, has said. You're doing what your father has said. They had different fathers. Even though the Jews would have looked at Jesus and said, well, he's a Jew too. He's from Abraham too. We're all from the same thing. We're all okay, right? We're all going the same place anyway. Kind of sounds like people today, right? Everybody's going the same place. Everybody's going to be okay. As long as we just kind of all be true to ourselves and who we are, who we've descended from, you know, be true to your family, love your family, love your country, you know, these things where you're descended from, then everything will work out in the end. And Jesus says, no, if you sin, you're a servant of sin. Jesus sets you free from something so you can be free to someone, right? He sets you free from something so you can be free to someone. You say, well, how do I know that I'm the slave to sin? Well, you keep on sinning. That's how you know. That's how I know I'm a slave to sin. I keep on sinning. If we're honest, right? If we deal in truth, we have to all deal with the truth that we're all sinners. It doesn't feel good. Pastor, I thought you were supposed to just encourage us and help us today. I am encouraging you this morning, but to encourage you, I've got to encourage you in truth. I can't tell you something that's not true. Later on in just a few minutes, you'll see they were trying to get Jesus to say something, and Jesus said, but if I make that statement that I'm a liar just like you, you don't encourage somebody by telling them things that are not true. You encourage somebody that te- when you tell them the truth. A son has rights, right? A slave, a servant, has no rights. Jesus says, if you're a son, you have rights. You're part of my family. So what comes first, your identity or your activity? Right? A servant serves because of who they are. A servant to sin sins because that's who they are. Your activity doesn't come first. Your identity comes first. Who you are determines what you do. And the reason you sin, the reason I sin, the reason the whole world is sin is because we are sinners. That is our identity. Your identity determines your activity. But Jesus is making the point, as a child of God, you are free from sin. You no longer have to sin because you're forgiven. Now, do we still mess up? Do we still sin? Yes. I still sin on a regular basis. But now I have forgiveness. I have freedom because of what Christ has done for me. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, then your identity has been changed. You are no longer the servant to sin. You are now a son or a daughter. You are a part of the family of God. If you are not in God's family, then you are a slave to sin and Satan is your master. God doesn't want us to think like a slave. He wants us to think like a son. That you're part of his family. A lot of people treat God like he's their slave master. No. As a Christian, God is my father. My father's not here to beat me down. My father's here to pick me up. My father's here to help me, to encourage me. We live in a difficult world. We're difficult people, if we're honest, right? But God's there to help us. Don't live your life as a slave, a servant to sin. God's here to help you, to give you victory over sin. Jesus sets you free from slavery to sin. How do we have this freedom? Well, it's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are now born into the family of God. And now you can be free from sin. We fall into the difficulty, though, that some people say, well, but pastor, aren't people just basically good? I... I'm, I'm sorry to say it if that's what you believe, but you're wrong. People are not basically good. The Bible is very clear. All have sin. 
Before you can receive the good news about God's love, you have to receive the bad news about your sin. If you don't know you're a sinner, then how would you, or a slave to sin, how would you ever know that you need to be a son? That you need to be forgiven? Jesus sets us free from the slavery of sin. The second thing, though, we can see from this passage as we keep reading, beginning in verse 37, is this, that Jesus sets us free from slavery to religion. See, some people say, well, I realize that I'm a bad person, that I mess up, that I do a lot of bad things, so I'm going to go join the church, and that's going to make me a better person. Because now I'm going to be in church, and church people are good people, right? Oh, wrong. Folks, there's only one good person, and that's God, Jesus Christ. There's no one else that's truly good. We may try to do some good things from time to time, but that's only because of what God even enables us to do, but only true good person is God. Jesus sets us free from slavery to Religion. Now, this might seem backward. Well, aren't we in a church and isn't this religion? So, what are you saying? Well, let's look at the passage together and understand it. John chapter 8, verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. Why did the Jews want to kill Jesus? Because what he said was contrary to their religion. You say, how is it contrary to their religion? I thought they just followed the Old Testament. Are you saying that the Old Testament is bad, that we should just throw it out? No, because the problem was they weren't just following the Old Testament. They had added a whole bunch of extra things to the Old Testament to now make their own religion. They had put a bunch of extra forms and functions and rules and regulations and things around it and began to say things that God never said and said that if you do what we say, then you are following God. See, whenever you take man's version of what God has said, and you begin to follow man's version instead of what God clearly says in His Word, you fall into the trap, the slavery of religion. And folks, this is a trap we can all fall into. i got to be careful about this too. Because we all like to be comfortable, right? We all like things that are familiar to us. We all like things that we understand. And when you grow up a certain way, or you lived around certain people, or you've been a member of a certain thing, as I have for a long time, it's very easy to just fall into living a comfortable way by, well, yeah, I mean, that's what they do over at church, so it must be right. Now, we want to be right. But if we can't find it in God's Word, then we're making it up and it's become a religion, and not a relationship. I have a relationship with my wife, but if I begin to make up things that she wants me to do or doesn't want me to do, things that she's never said, now I've come up with my own religion of Shandy worship that's not even true who she, truly who she is, right? Because I've made up my own truth. And when a church or an individual, any person, any organization begins to elevate their truth equal to or above what God's Word has said, they've now taken it away from a relationship with God and made it into just a religion. Said, well, if you do this, 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 then you'll be right with God. Folks, God does tell us to live righteous, holy lives. God does tell us to live free from sin. If you're in sin this morning, you're in, slave, you're in slavery to it. And Jesus can set you free from that. But Jesus doesn't set you free from sin so that you can then be enslaved by a religion. He sets you free from sin so that you can have a relationship with Him. Jesus says here in verse 38, I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your Father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. 
We studied Abraham briefly on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. When God came to Abraham and he spoke to Abraham and he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son of promise, and take him and go make a sacrifice of him. What did Abraham do? He obeyed. And you know what? He didn't even wait to obey. The Bible says he got up early the next morning to go. How many of us get up early to obey God? Or do we drag our feet? Oh, okay. Now Abraham got with it and he got right on it and he did exactly what God told him to do, exactly the way God told him to do it, and he went early to obey God. Jesus is making the point, if you were really children of Abraham, then you would do what Abraham did. You would be obedient to God. You would take God at His word and do what God says. You're not here for your own glory. You're here for the glory of God. And yet this is not how these people were living. They were living for themselves, for their own glory, for their own power, for their own control. Jesus said in verse 41, Ye do the deeds of your father. Which father is he talking about? He's not talking about their father Abraham. They're a servant to sin because their father is the devil. Oh, really? There's only two families you can be a part of. You can be part of God's family. You can be part of the devil's family. He says, you do the deeds of your father. Look how they respond to him. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. Now, how was Jesus born? The Bible teaches us that he was born of a virgin, right? That his mother Mary gave birth to him after she was with child of the Holy Ghost, Right? Do you think the people of his day wanted to believe that Jesus had been born of a virgin? These people didn't because they didn't like what he had to say. And so they said, you're born of fornication. That's what they're saying to Jesus. We're not born of fornication. You are. Who are you to talk to us? Your parents weren't even married when you were born. When Jesus began to speak the truth, instead of dealing with the truth, they began to attack Jesus. And this is the world we live in today too. When people are presented with truth that they don't want to hear, they often begin to find other things to make excuses for why they don't listen to the truth, right? Well, I don't listen to the truth because there's a lot of Christians that are hypocrites. I don't listen to the truth because... Well, don't you know there's some contradictions in the Bible? There aren't. But people like to say that there are as an excuse for why they don't listen to the truth. They try to find little things that they can pick at which aren't even true in the first place. But again, remember when we don't live in the truth of who God is, we begin to make up our own truth and then it's not truth at all. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, verse 42, ye would love me. For I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Religion shoots anyone and anything that robs them of their control and power. When someone tries to speak out against us, I don't have to fight them. Because God takes care of it. Religion tries to shoot anyone who tries to take away their control or power. I'm so thankful that this church, what I'm talking about this morning, has nothing to do with my power, my strength, my control. This isn't about me. This is about a relationship with God. And when we begin to make it about ourselves in the sense of how can I get in charge? Who can I be in control of? And the sad thing is, if you've been around church, you may have been around people that that's been what they've been about. 
God has called us to serve Him. It always makes me sad when people will use church for their own little power trip. Their own little place of control. Folks, we have to be controlled by the truth of God's Word. It's not about control of a person for another person. It's about submitting ourselves to God. Because true freedom comes through the truth of who God is. The problem with religion is that sometimes it's too serious about itself and not serious enough about Jesus. It's about carrying on something or the trappings or the outward show and not about the true relationship that we have with God. Religion likes to draw lines between the good people and the bad people. And they say, well, if you're part of our religion, you're part of the good people and everybody else is the bad people. The reality is, folks, as I said before, there's only one good. So if we're going to draw lines between good people and bad people, there's a whole bunch of people on the bad people side. All of us are. And there's only one person on the good people side. Jesus. But religion loves to draw lines and make statements and do things because then we feel comfortable. I'm okay as long as I check all these boxes. As long as I show up at church. I can live like I want to all week, but if I come to church on Sunday, then I'm okay. I even clean up, take a shower, put on a coat. Some weeks I wear a tie. Mm, because that's what makes you godly. No, it's not. Some people think, well, if Jesus would just do a miracle, then I would believe Him. If He would answer all my questions, then I would believe Him. Folks, He did. And people still hated Him. Because people hate the truth when the truth calls them a sinner and a liar. The problem is not that Jesus has not made himself known. It's that you have not responded for a relationship with him. Jesus sets us free from sin. Jesus sets us free from slavery to religion. Thirdly, Jesus sets you free from slavery to the demonic Remember, we're talking about the father, who their father is. Now Jesus gets into it. Verse number 44. Year of your father, the devil. Whoa. This is strong. Imagine again, Tuesday night, right? We're at the patriotic celebration. And I'm sitting with my family and I just think, you know what? I really want to get in trouble tonight. So I somehow make my way to the stage and I look at all these people and say, you're all out here celebrating freedom, but you're not free. Your father is the devil. Not popular speech, right? But this is what Jesus was saying. And he wasn't saying this in a room with a couple people. He was saying this in front of many, many, possibly thousands of people. But folks, the truth matters. Jesus wasn't there just to make a show, okay? It wasn't about, well... Jesus came with a very specific purpose. The Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And, some, and we live in a lost, dark, dying world. People that are mixed up and running the wrong direction. And they need to hear the truth. Jesus wasn't being mean. Jesus wasn't nasty. Jesus just spoke the truth. And the truth is not always popular, is it? Jesus sets us free from slavery to the demonic. He says, you're of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Jesus asks a question. He says, which of you can convince me of sin? Who can point out sin in my life, Jesus says. Jesus is telling him, I've never done anything wrong. And he hadn't. All he ever did was right. Jesus wasn't being proud. He was just telling them the truth. 
These are very religious people and God shows up in the midst of them and says, you don't even know me. They were there for a special religious holiday and God showed up and he began to judge them because God doesn't just judge what they're doing on the outside. He's judging what's going on on the inside. We need to come into the reality today, folks, that we need an authority greater than ourselves because we're all under some type of authority. We're, dealing, we're talking about biblical parenting on Sunday nights. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Why? Because who is the authority of the children? The parents are. But why do children obey parents? Is it because parents are just that wonderful? No, it's because they should be obeying God. Now, parents, we better be doing our job to do the very, be the very best parents we can be because we are helping our children to understand who God is. And often the way they view God is based on how they view us. And if we're a nasty parent that's inconsistent and doing wrong and never walking with God ourselves, they're going to think that their heavenly father just might be the same way. And that's a lot of times what happens. But we're teaching our children to have authority. A child who doesn't understand their authority is a big problem, aren't they? Some of you may be teaching schools or work around kids and we all know it. We love to be around the children that understand authority and are submissive and honoring to their parents and their authorities. We're not so, uh, we don't enjoy being around children so much that don't honor their parents, right? You know what it's like, right? How many of you, when you get on the airplane to fly somewhere, the first seat you pick is the one next to the mother carrying a small child? You leave that seat till the very last. Why? Because... Sometimes children don't understand authority and they don't sit very quietly. Now, you may judge me for this, but I have used that to my advantage. A couple of years ago, we got on a flight, Southwest flight, so your seats are not assigned, and we were just making a connection. We had our family with us. And we get on, of course, if you've flown Southwest, which are the last seats available on the plane? The middle seat, right, all the way back. There were no seats together, just middle seats. We were running late. I'm carrying, I think, two kids, and my wife's pushing a stroller with stuff, and we were just loaded down. And we get on the plane, and I just put a happy smile on my face. And I said, all right, let's put one kid in this row, another kid in this row, another kid in this row. People just began leaping out of their seats. We'll switch seats. We'll move around. Because everybody thought, oh, no, we're gonna, there are going to be six kids in a, or five kids in a row going straight back, middle seat all the way back. And pretty soon our whole family was sitting together in a section. We didn't even have to ask the flight attendant. It was great. Everybody moved right for us. Because on a flight, people aren't really sure that they want to sit next to the children. My wife and I were flying with Caden when he was a little tiny baby. We don't do this so much anymore because we have to buy so many plane tickets now. But when Caden was, before he turned two, he flies for free, right? So my wife and I were going on a trip and Caden was with us. We left the other four with grandma and grandpa and Caden was a teeny tiny fellow. And we get on that Southwest flight and it was a pretty full flight. And my wife sat by the window and I thought, I'm going to sit by the aisle and let's leave this empty seat in the middle. And if somebody comes, we'll just move over and give them the seat. But we might end up with an empty seat. And so I kept Caden prominently displayed on my shoulder the whole time as people got onto the plane. And wouldn't you know it? Nobody sat next to us. Nobody sat next to us. Now my friend, I'm going to tell a story on him this morning right now. My friend who was sitting across the aisle from us, who's also a pastor, he saw what I was doing. He and his wife were flying. They left the empty seat between them, but he didn't have a baby. So he said, can I have one of your baby blankets? <laughs> so I gave him one of our baby blankets. He threw it up on his shoulder, put his hands up under the baby blanket, <laughs> and held it like that. Everybody walked by and nobody sat in that seat. After it was done, we took the baby blanket off and gave it back, and the flight attendant came and gave us both high fives. <laughs> she said, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. That's great. <laughs> Why don't people want to sit by kids on the airplane? Because they're afraid they may not obey their authority, right? See, we're all under authority. 
But we need to realize that it's not just babies and children. All of us have authority. We think, well, I'm free to do whatever I want. I have no authority in my life. Yes, you do. We all have authority. Jesus tells them, your authority is the devil because you follow him. You're doing what he wants you to do, not what God wants you to do. We think we're independent. There's two fathers, Satan or God the Father. There's two families, Satan's families or God's family. There's two futures, hell or heaven. We live in the land of the free, right? So how's it going? What are people's desires? Sin or righteousness? Are we a murdering culture? Jesus said, your father, he was a murderer from the beginning. How many thousands upon thousands of children were murdered in our country last year? This year? Millions. This isn't freedom. Now, if you are somebody that has done that, I want you to know God can and will forgive you because He forgives sin. But we live in this world where we desire to sin and we murder and then we call it freedom. Freedom of choice. Jesus is pointing out you've made up a false reality. This isn't truth. This isn't freedom at all. Well, we make arguments and we say, well, so-and-so said this and they make this argument and, you know, they, they, they made this point about biology. They, they have lots of degrees. I don't care if they have more degrees than a Fahrenheit thermometer. They're still wrong. They're liars. The reality is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Everything else is darkness. I need to be conformed to God's word and not to this wicked world. People are broken because Satan doesn't bring hope. He offers something shiny. Oh, sin is pleasant for a season. But the end results are destruction. The world we live in is full of people that love their lies. Because their lies feel good. But we are all created in the image of God. And given a God-given purpose. Every single one of us has that. I sure enjoyed going to like a nursing home or rest home and, and getting to talk with the residents there and share God's word. Because I've talked with a number of my you know, family members been through there and church members and different people over the years. And sometimes that can be a very discouraging place as they get older, as they lose some of their physical ability to do things. It's hard. Some of you have loved ones that have gone through that. Some of you have gone through some things like that. And it's easy to lose our sense of well-being and purpose. Why am I even here? God has you here for a reason. You have a God-given pur purpose. And if, he, if you're a Christian and He hasn't taken you home to heaven yet, it's because He still has a purpose for you here on this earth. It's not over yet. It'll be over when God decides it's over, right? Right? And that's another thing, a side point, but that's why we let God decide when people live or die because God has a purpose, right? We live in some countries now, people are looking for the, well, I need the freedom to be able to take my own life. That's not freedom, folks. That's a lie. We think it's freedom because we say, well, then I'm in control but then we're outside of the freedom of what God has created for us to do. Jesus sets us free from slavery to the demonic. Finally, Jesus sets us free, sorry, from slavery to death. We know that sin is in the world because of death. The Bible says, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Death comes for us all. We can fight reality and deny reality, but eventually you have to deal with the reality. You will die, and I will die. And I'm going to have to give an account to God. John chapter 8, verse 48 says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. 
First they called Jesus someone who was born in fornication. Now they say he's a Samaritan and has a devil. This is a slur against him. This is a, the most derogatory term that they can think to call him. Jesus answers, I'm not a devil, but I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me. I seek not mine own glory, but there is one that seeketh and judges. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. You say, wait a minute, but I thought you said everybody's going to die. Well, remember, there's three kinds of freedom. Jesus is talking about the eternal freedom. This physical body may die. Sure. But this physical body isn't really who I am, is it? I have, I have a spiritual body that's going to live forever and that'll never see death, that'll never be separated from God if I'm a child of His. That's freedom. You can go places and do things and serve God in ways because this physical body isn't what holds me back because I'm doing what God wants me to do. Now there are things that physically that do hold us back, right? Oh, I can't get up and all the energy, can't do this, can't do that. God may change what he has you doing over time, sure. But it doesn't hold you back from fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life. It just changes from time to time. Last night we were out at the park with the kids and Tom and Justin been doing a good job working and organizing things and enjoying our outreach and I jumped into the soccer game last night. I enjoyed playing soccer. I still do. But what my head is telling my feet to do is not always what they're doing anymore. I'm like, man, Billy steals it off me every time when I go by. I used to be able to dribble around people. My... I had sore muscles in my thighs last night. I think it was just from running, just from picking up my feet. You know, this is crazy. I wasn't wearing ankle weights. What's wrong with my physical body? Is it holding me back from doing some things that I want to sometimes? Maybe. And that will only increase, right? Some of you are a lot farther advanced than I am in those things. But just because your physical body holds you back doesn't mean that you're held back from doing what God wants you to do spiritually. Because if you're in Christ, you will never see death. Jesus sets you free from slavery to death. Jesus wasn't here to seek his own glory. He says that in verse 50. Jesus is here to bring glory to God. Folks, we dishonor God when we seek our own glory, when it's all about us. And some of us, that's what we do with our social media, right? Pop open our you, you look at our day-to-day -day life and it's awful. But you pop open our Instagram or our Snapchat or our Facebook and we say, yeah, this is what heaven looks like. You know, everything's good. Everything's great. Folks, without Christ, it's not good at all. In, John, in verse 51, Jesus says, If a man keeps my saying, he shall never see death. What's sad here, when he makes this statement, you'll never see death, he shall never taste of death. Look at verse 53. They says, well, art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Over and over and over again, they wanted to argue with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was pointing out that they were in slavery. They were in slavery to death. They knew that death was coming and so they wanted to do a certain thing. Even Abraham died. So what are we going to do? Some people are fighting against God. They're doing whatever they can for themselves. And Jesus is trying to give them the truth. Jesus defeated death. The worst thing in life is not to die. The worst thing in life is to die without Christ. Jesus says, or I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul said, speaking of death in Philippians 1 verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You say, how can death be better? Well, because now I really am free from this mortal body. All the things that hold me back, the aches and the pains and the bruises and the tears and the struggles, and now I am free just to worship God all the time. 
I can't wait to get to heaven. The book of Revelation says there'll be no night there. There'll be no weeping there. No pain there. No sorrow there. It'll all be passed away. And all I'll be, I'll be able to do all the time is just worship God with all of my being. That's what He created me to do in the first place. And it's because of my sin. It's because of this body. It's because of Satan. It's because of death that it keeps me from being able to do what I want to be free to do. And Jesus sets us free from slavery to death. And there's one final thing that he talks about in the final few verses of this, and I want to get through it here quickly. Jesus sets us free from slavery to fear. See, these people, they were afraid, and we know that they were afraid because in the last several verses, verse 54 to 59, as Jesus is speaking to them about who they are and what they've done, the Jews say to him, verse number 57, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. They were afraid of what Jesus had to say because it showed them who they really were. They tried every argument they could think of. Well, you have a devil. Jesus says, no, I don't have a devil. If I had a devil, I'd be lying to you, and I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. Well, you're not following our religion. We follow our father Abraham. Jesus says, well, if you truly followed Abraham, you'd be doing the right things instead of the wrong things. Well, 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 right, they have all these reasons. Finally, they can't take it anymore. So they pick up stones to cast at him. Folks, this is what happens if people refuse to respond in relationship to the truth. They can listen and hear, they argue, they fight, then finally, they tried to kill him. But Jesus, of course, it says, hid himself, and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Jesus, when he was speaking about Abraham, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Why? Because Abraham was looking forward to Jesus Christ. You know that picture of Abraham, the story of Abraham? I mentioned it a little bit ago. God gave Abraham that son, Isaac. A son in his old age, a son of promise. And then God says, I want you to take your son, your son of promise that I've given you, and I want you to go sacrifice him. That son carried the wood that he was going to be sacrificed on, on his own back, up to the top of the mountain where God had sent them so that he could be sacrificed. Hmm. That reminds me of another father who gave his only begotten son who carried the wood that he would be sacrificed on up to the top of the hill of Golgotha. He was put on that altar. Isaac was put there. And, and just as Abraham had taken the knife to kill his own son, God stopped him. He said, I have a lamb. God will make himself a lamb. Now at that moment in time, Abraham saw a physical animal that he took out of that bush and he put on that altar and sacrificed. But God wasn't just talking about that physical animal. He was talking about his own son, Jesus Christ, who he wouldn't stop himself from sacrificing. That he gave his only begotten son. Folks, I, I know some of this stuff. This is hard to hear. This is hard for me to say some of these things. I don't want to be harsh and mean, and I hope this isn't coming across this way at all. But sometimes the truth is very direct, and sometimes it hurts. And I hope that I'm to the side enough that what you're hearing is not my words this morning, but God's words. And if, God, and if you're feeling convicted in your heart, if you're feeling that squeeze on your heart, if you will, and that struggle on the inside and the, and the back and forth going on in your mind, I, I hope it's not me trying to convince you of this, but that it's God's Word that's speaking to your heart this morning. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Word of God, 
He gives you the truth. And it's the truth that will set you free. What are you afraid of? At the end of the day, these people picked up stones just to cast at him. People are so afraid of, of what following God might mean, of what the truth might mean for their life, of what they might have to give up. They might have to give up their social standing. They, they might have to give up the glory as other people are looking to them. They might have to give up some of the things that they like. Folks, it's not giving up those things so that you can put on some sort of religious thing. It's giving that up so you can have a relationship. When I got married, I, I gave up all the other women. There weren't that many, but. I gave up the opportunity to do those things, at least what I should be doing, right? Because I said, I want to be free to be married to this one. And it's far greater than what anything anybody else could give because when you're in a real relationship with one person, it's far better than any other false pseudo relationship that some other person might give. This message isn't primarily about marriage. I just think it's a helpful illustration for us. But God is calling us into relationship with Himself. He says true freedom is in Christ and having a relationship with Him. If you will be His disciples, then you must continue in His Word.